All right, thanks for having me. I uh, just wanted to take a second. Uh, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1. If you need your Bibles or your phone or device, uh, Ruth chapter 1. I uh, wanted to take a second as you're, you're getting there just to personally thank you on behalf of my family for uh, your care. Uh, specifically, Central Hope was um, so generous to us during all the kind of the craziness that's been the past couple of months uh, for the Jordans. So um, thank you for your generosity there and thank you for your partnership. Um, and care for me. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, um, I love this book, uh, and I hope by the time uh, that you guys get through the, the four chapters here that you're going to love uh, this book as much as I do. Um, we'll pick up in verse 6 when uh, it won't take long for you to, to live life, to, to experience um, tragedy, right? Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's a miscarriage. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's, you know, divorce. Whatever the case may be, it won't take long for you to experience those times where it feels as if it is just one thing after another after another and it won't let up. Like there won't be a time where you can kind of take a breath and it's, and it's over. But you'll be in a season where it, it feels as if it's just, this is, is this the new normal? Is this how life is? And if you're not careful, uh, your emotions and your mind and your heart will go to a place where um, you'll start to think, well, what did I do to deserve this? Mm. Or... Um, why is this happening to me? Or, God, what are you, what are you doing? What did I do wrong? You'll, you'll go to all these, these unhealthy and untrue places um, thinking that because, I'm, because I did something wrong or because um, I somehow made God mad or, or whatever the case may be, this, these series of un- unfortunate events are, are happening to me and I can't seem... Um, to get out of it. And the thing that I love about the book of Ruth is as we enter into this tension that we're dealing with, with the story of Naomi and, and Ruth and the things that they are experiencing or, and are going to experience, um, the writer of Hebrews doesn't let you just kind of be in a formula and go, okay, because this happened, this happened. Or because Naomi didn't do this, this is the consequence. Or because they did this, this is what happened. It's, it's complex, just like life, right? There are multiple things happening at one time, multiple good and bad. There, there are consequences, there are effects. There, at, at, at some level, is just deep suffering. And it feels as if it is just one thing after another, after another, after another. And, and to understand this, we kind of want to just take a second and read this as if, and listen to this as, as if we are the, the audience that were, would originally heard Ruth. Ruth would have been read every year during the Passover time, during the barley harvest, and as we get into today's chapter, you'll understand why. And because a lot of people couldn't read back then they would just hear it and they wouldn't know the the advantage we have in having the, all the scriptures they wouldn't know how the story kind of unfolds 
they would instead um, kind of be left with the tension of what's happening. And so I want us to kind of approach the text here that way um, and, and remember where we are in Ruth compared to last week. Um, if this were a Netflix special, this would be previously in Ruth. Um, it's during the days of the judges. And if you know anything about judges, it was a time where there's no, there's no ruler, there's no government, people are kind of doing whatever they want to do. And you get this continual series of Israel's doing what's, what's evil in the sight of the Lord. They then beg God for a deliverer. God raises up a deliverer. He shuts down their enemy. And then there it says, and there is peace for three years or seven years or eight years. And then the next paragraph, Israel's doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And it's just this continual tension of Israel's faithlessness and their sin. Um, and they're turning away from God and then realizing that they've tried everything else. Please, God, help us. And God bringing them a deliverer. And that's the context that we find ourselves in in Ruth when it says this happened during the days of Judges. Now, the thing you've got to appreciate about the writer of Ruth is, is kind of the hints that he's going to give you along the way. Like last week, there's a guy named Elimelech, which literally means my God is king. Days of the Judges, no king. God is telling them, I will be your king, I will be your ruler. And just in this subtle hint, you have a guy named Elimelech come on the scene. And they're dealing with great famine. Famine as a result of the faithlessness of the people of God. And God told them this would happen. In Deuteronomy, Moses said, if you obey the commands of the Lord, this is what's going to happen for you. But if you disobey the commands of the Lord, this is what's going to happen. And part of that would involve famine. So now they're facing in their faithlessness the result of the famine. And in this tension, they're trying to figure out food. And there's no food in Bethlehem. Now, you've got to understand that Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So there's irony here that in the house of bread, there is no bread. And so they're faced with a decision. We've got to feed our family. We've got to do something. What are we going to do? And Elimelech decides to take his family and go to Moab. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Moab should, should be a red flag to you because Moab is an enemy of the people of God. When they were in the wilderness leading to the promised land, they asked to go through Moab, and Moab said no. Now you think, well, okay, they could have just gone somewhere else. But you got in the geographical area, Bethlehem is separated by the Dead Sea. On the other side of the Dead Sea from Bethlehem is Moab. So they were trying to kind of get to the promised land, and they had to go through Moab to get there, and Moab wouldn't let them do it. Then another time, Moab... Actually, the women in Moab were kind of known, um, we'll, we'll call them ladies of the night. Um, they were known to try to um, entice and tempt the people of God. And they did that in such a way of immorality that it led to 20,000 plus people of God facing the judgment of God and being killed for their debauchery. 
And it's Moab who even exists because of an immoral relationship between Lot and his daughter. These people are not okay. These people are pagan. They're not good. This is not the place that they're supposed to be. And, and there are things in Scripture where you kind of are, are unsure. This isn't one of those. God's super clear about how he feels about the Moabites. So, so much so, Dan mentioned this last week, that if you were to marry a Moabite woman, you weren't allowed into the temple for ten generations. God's serious about his interactions with the Moabites. And yet Elimelech is faced with this situation where he's got to find food somewhere, and so he goes and takes his family to Moab. And he's got two sons, Milion and Chilion. And the kicker here is what their names mean. Weakling and pining. Now, Katie's 21 weeks pregnant today, Sunday Starts over every week, the, the count, countdown. We're halfway through. And we're in the season of trying to figure out what we're going to name this baby girl. The thing I don't think I would want to do is name my child weakling and pining, right? But they would often name their children based off of either something they wanted to communicate. Elimelech, my God is king. We need a king, and my king's going to be God. Or Naomi, pleasant and beautiful. Or weakling and pining. Now, I've had people tell me as they're trying to think through how to name our child, well, just meet her and then you'll, you'll know. That seems like sound advice. The thing I don't think I would want to do is go, man, this is a sickly child. Let's name it <laughs> sickly and needing some help. Weakling and pining. But that's an indication from the writer of Ruth, that something bad is about to happen to these dudes. And they're there in Moab for 10 years, and Elimelech dies, and then the sons die. <coughs> and the writer writes about it kind of matter-of-factly and says, but Elimelech, verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she's left with her two sons. Then these two sons take Moabite wives. And you go, uh-oh. The name of one was Orpah, and the other was Ruth. And they lived about ten years, and then both Malon and Chilion died. So that the, women, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And notice, even in that point, she loses everything, even in that sense, her identity. Because then it's not saying Naomi, it's just the woman. She's lost everything. It was one thing after another. One tragedy after a tragedy after a tragedy. And it's in that tension that we come to verse 6, and I want us to see four things today. In what we're going to read, we're going to see, first, that perception isn't reality. Perception isn't reality. Second, we're going to see that repentance is about turning. Nice. Next, we're going to see faith is about trusting. Oh, just didn't know. I didn't know if it was a, like an effect. I didn't know. Faith is about trusting. 
I'm going to move this real quick. It has nothing to do with that. I know, but I keep hearing it. So, Faith is about trusting. And lastly, we're going to see that hope often comes in the midst of sorrow. So perception isn't reality. Repentance is about turning. Faith is about trusting, and hope often comes in the midst of sorrow. Let's dig into God's holy and inspired word. We're going to read starting in verse 6 all the way to the end of chapter 1. Let's read. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she turned from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people, giving them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you, grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet my sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband that night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore remain, refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Central Hope. I thank you for your word. Would you please help us to understand it and to fall more in love with you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a lot. This scene of Naomi hearing that back home this famine is over, (coughs) that the Lord has dealt well with his people, that there actually might be hope for her to go Back home. Because you got to think. 
Whether it was Elimelech's idea, whether it was Naomi's idea to go to Moab to try to find food, you know, oftentimes, thinking about her sons being gone, thinking about her husband being gone, you got to think through tears, she often thought, what if we had just not gone? And she starts playing the what-if game that we often do when tragedy hits. What if I had done things differently? What if I had had this conversation instead of this conversation? What if I had, we had just decided to do this instead of doing that? Would things be different? And so she hears that there's food back in Bethlehem, and so she's headed back home. But notice, she's, she's not really worried about anything else other than just she's going to go back home and she's going to deal with what she deals with. It's been a decade since she's been in Bethlehem. But as she's going, her daughter-in-laws are headed with her. And at one point in time, she kind of stops them and says, Ladies, daughters, go, go home. Don't follow me. She doesn't know what she's going to find when she goes back home. She doesn't know if it's going to go well, if it's going to go bad. She's just going to make a decision and go, I'd kind of like to go back home. This sounds like this might actually be hopeful but I don't want to have to be responsible for anybody else. Because the last time that I was responsible, it fell apart. I'm just going to go. And there's this incredibly gut-wrenching moment where they're weeping. And they're hugging each other. And they don't want to part. And we deal with the reality that perception isn't reality. That Naomi's perception is she's hoping for the best but expecting the worst because of all the things she's experienced. Anybody know some folks like that? Maybe it's you. That enough bad has happened that you just think that's just kind of how things are. It's kind of how life is. Someone, Eric mentioned that earlier, that you just start to kind of think that this is the way it is now. And her perception has to be, well, I'm going to go back home Try something different, but really, I'm not expecting anything. And we know that because of what she says at the end of chapter 1, that I'm bitter. I'm not pleasant. I'm empty. I'm not full. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And then she gives kind of, I mean, honestly, a, a reasonable answer. Because in the context here, it wasn't as if, like today, where they could have just relocated back to Bethlehem and the ladies gotten jobs and been self-sufficient and, and been okay. No, there was a cultural mandate that they would have had to have been married again in order to have their lives back and been taken care of. And there was actually even a law that if a, bro a brother dies, if a husband dies, his brother would take care of the widow and have children on his behalf. Well, there's no brothers to take care of these widows. Both brothers are dead. <laughs> and so Naomi on a real level is saying, I have no more sons for you to have husbands. I'm old. It's not going to happen for me. I'm not expecting anything. I'm even too old to be married. Ladies, go home. And they tell no, we're not going to leave you. And she says, okay, Think about this. Even if I were to get married today and, and have a child, you're going to wait till they're grown to marry them? You're going to forego all your marrying and childbearing years to wait on these two babies to become adult men? 
That doesn't make any sense. Go home. And you can feel the tension. And you feel the strain. And you feel the brokenness that's in Naomi's voice. But perception is not reality. In this moment, she thinks things are empty and broken and hopeless. And to use Dan's terminology from last week, she's at rock bottom. And she thinks there's nowhere to go. And yet, the Lord is working the entire time. And that's the beauty of Ruth, that amidst the calamity, amidst the suffering, amidst the tragedy, amidst the brokenness, amidst the perceived hopelessness, that the Lord is at work constantly. And I would say that's true for us as well. That even in the past couple of months, I can look back to how the Lord has provided for our family time and time and time again. Even in the midst of days where it felt like if I have to make one more phone call, if I have to hear one more ounce of bad news, if I have to deal with one more piece of insurance or one more whatever the case is, I'm going to scream. And yet the Lord has been gracious. And I can look back on times in the past when I lost my mom or lost my dad or lost my stepdad where the Lord was gracious. And I can remember being in college when my dad died and thinking either he's God and he's got me or I'm going to find out that he's not. I'm here at 32 telling you that Even in the midst of this brokenness and tragedy, the Lord is at work. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans 8 when he says, and I know that God works all things together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Her perception is she's empty. Her perception is that all is lost, but that's not actually reality. And then we get into the second thing that I want us to see here. This idea of repentance being about turning. The writer of Hebrews wants you, or the writer of Ruth wants you to understand this idea of turning. That's why he continuously uses this word return as a note again and again and again. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 10, verse 16, and verse 22 all are around this idea of returning. She's returning to Bethlehem. She's telling them to turn back and go home. Naomi is begging them to turn away from her. She is trying to turn back away from Moab. Ruth is telling her, don't tell me to turn away from you. This idea of turning is ever present before the audience and before us in reading. The writer of Ruth wants you to see the significance here. That Moab is the place where God told them not to go. The presence of God rests among his people in the Old Testament, in the promised land, in Bethlehem, back in Israel. That despite the fact that it looked as if there was no hope, God is being gracious to them, even though they don't deserve it. 
you don't believe that, go back and read Judges to understand Ruth. I mean, paragraph after paragraph after paragraph of just they do what's evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord brings them a deliverer. That's the gospel. That we deserved nothing but the wrath of God and everything that comes along with it for our sin, and he instead brings us a deliverer. And so, in this moment, you see Naomi turning back. You see her going back to the presence of God, back to the people of God, back to the covenant community. But you also see a turning point here where Orpah and Ruth have to make a decision. Because repentance is about turning. And in this moment, they've got to decide. It's a turning point. Orpah's decision is based off of opportunity. Maybe Naomi's right. Maybe I need to stay with what I know. Maybe I need to stay with my gods. Maybe I need to stay with my comfort. Maybe I need to stay where things could be easier. Maybe there's more opportunity. Maybe I stay and do the same things I've been doing and see how it works out. And she turns. And Ruth, instead, turns to Naomi. And listen to the language of what she says in verse 16 again. But Ruth said to her, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. That should sound familiar to us, because here, Ruth, after 10 years with Naomi, 10 years in in the family, 10 years of understanding how her family works and understanding their rhythms and the things that they're about, Ruth now recites back to her a conversation that Naomi probably had with her family time and time again. No, 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 no. Remember you keep telling me that God promised you that he would be your God and you would be his people? Don't you tell me to turn away from following you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. In this particular moment, we see a change of heart on the path of Ruth. Ruth is telling her, no, 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 I'm one of you now. She's making a covenant with Naomi. Because our God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And even in the midst of Ruth, you see the same idea of covenant Happening. Ruth is using covenantal language to profess her loyalty to Naomi and to Naomi's God. Repentance at its core is about recognizing that your way doesn't lead to life. Repentance is about an act of submission. It's about a mindset of faith in this particular moment. She can either continue doing what she's doing or she can follow Naomi and she chooses to do so, which leads us to the third thing that I want us to see. And it's that faith is about trust. Faith at its core is about 
trust. Naomi, Naomi doesn't know, but verse 16 is actually the answer to the blessing that she gives to her daughters-in-law in verse 9. Hey, may the Lord bring you rest. And may the Lord be kind to you because of your kindness to me and my family. And that's exactly what the Lord does in verse 16. Because it's through Ruth that she's going to meet Boaz. And they're going to have a son. And then that child's going to have a son. And then that child is going to give birth to David. And from David comes the king himself, the God-man, Jesus. So in that moment when Naomi is saying, may the Lord be kind to you, God's saying, oh, I will be kind. I'm going to bring you Jesus. Faith is about trusting. And Ruth interrupts Naomi in her pleading to show her where exactly she's at. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in chapter 11, that faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. Ruth uses covenant language and it almost even sounds like something you would hear in a wedding ceremony. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Your people are going to be my people and your God, my God. And may death be the only thing that separates us. She is tying herself forever to Naomi, Naomi's covenant community, and Naomi's covenant-making God. In this moment, Ruth leaves Moab and heads to Judah. She leaves a Moabite. She becomes an Israelite. She moves from idolatry to the house of bread, and she wants to know the one whom Elimelech is named after. She wants to know the king who is God. Because from the land of Judah, in the town of Bethlehem, is going to become one who in himself is the bread. And in himself is life. So we see here, one last thing as they head into Judah. They enter into the town, and we actually see that hope often comes in the midst of sorrow. She enters into the town, and she enters into the city gates, and because it's a small town, everybody kind of sees her coming, and they start gathering at the gate. Is that... Is that Naomi? I haven't seen her in years. I think that's Naomi. And she shows up. And they're like, Naomi! Girl, how are you? And what's her response? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm not pleasant. I'm bitter. Now, there's an argument in the commentaries over whether she is saying that her situation is bitter or if she herself is bitter. And I've got to be honest, any of us that have ever gone through any level of suffering, it's kind of hard to discern between the two. You're dealing with a pretty bitter and rough situation, and if you're not careful, 
your circumstances become your identity. And in this moment, the writer of, of Ruth just kind of lets the tension be there. He doesn't add a caveat. They don't add any clarity. It's just what it is. I left full. And now I've returned empty. Now, I want you to think about that. She's standing there with Ruth. And there's been silence the entire time in the story from the moment that Ruth pledges her loyalty to Naomi and uses the covenant language of where she is. There's no more conversation that is given to us until they enter into Bethlehem. And the only thing you hear from Naomi is, I have nothing. I am empty. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And there's Ruth. Probably kind of a couple steps back. Because this is the first time that she's identified as Ruth the Moabite. And they would have recognized her immediately. Maybe she's got some sort of scarf on that indicates she's a Moabite. Maybe she has a different skin color. We don't really know what the indication is that they know that she's a Moabite, but they know she's a Moabite from looking at her. And she rolls in, and Naomi says, I've got nothing. And Ruth just doesn't really say anything because there's already tension that she's even entered into the city. These are the enemies of God's people. These are the ones that brought judgment upon the people of God for their seduction. These are the ones that have developed after an ancestral relationship. And there's Ruth. There's sorrow. There's bitterness. There's struggle. And yet, notice how the chapter ends. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. As you get into next week, the beautiful thing about the writer of Ruth is this continual phrase that you're going to see. <coughs> and it just so happened that this happened this way. And it just so happened that she met Boaz. And it just so happened that she found the, found the right field. And it just so happened that they roll into Bethlehem during the barley harvest. Because what do they need? They need food. They need hope. They need things to go right for a little bit. Hope often comes in the midst of sorrow. When it seems as if everything is falling apart, God in his sovereign will is orchestrating his purpose. Like a beautiful storyline and like a crimson thread. God allows the famine to hit, knowing that this one family is going to go to Moab just so they can go get Ruth. And Ruth is one of four ladies in the lineage in Matthew, all of whom are messy, all of whom are complicated 
all of who, whom have some checkered history. And here, in the midst of brokenness, we find hope because it's from the womb of Ruth that Obed's going to come. And from Obed, Jesse. From Jesse, David. And down the line, through the line of David, through his throne is going to come our King, our God, and our hope in the brokenness, Jesus. So perception's not reality. Even in the midst of the perceived brokenness, God is always at work. And repentance is about turning. Turning from our ways of thinking we've got it all together or things we can, we, we can figure it out or all the other ways in which we're trying to white-knuckle our way into making things right. And faith, at the end of the day, is about trusting. That God is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do. And I trust and put my faith in His finished work. Because hope... is coming. And hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's go to the end of Ruth. And I want you to constantly have this ending in mind. Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Amimadab, and Amimadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The writer of Hebrews wants us to say that even in the midst of the brokenness, God is at work. And not only is he at work, we see in the life of Ruth a beautiful picture for all of us that God loves taking enemies and making them friends. That's what the writer in Romans, Paul himself said, when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the book of Ruth. I thank you so much that you were a God who is constantly at work, even when we can't see it. And you are a God who loves to take broken situations and put the pieces back together. And you are a God who loves to make your enemies your friend. Thank you for being our friend. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.